If 1990 was a bitch, then 1995 was the bull. I'd already spent five years recovering from the injuries and all the emotional and physical traumas of 1990 and spent five years coming to terms with both myself physically and emotionally and trying to develop back into the island I used to be. It was a hell of a year. I'd already worked in different industries, including textile with Johnson & Johnson. And what was funny about that, they thought that with my former position under the Veterans Training and Education Program, that they could assist me and that this would be good therapy for my body, having to lift, bend, twist, and do all these things to bring myself back into a state of physical being that I had prior to my injuries. In addition, I got to work as a forklift operator with Sam's Club. Uh, previous to that, it was Pace Warehouse. I worked in a video store. I worked for Lowe's Home Improvement. And I also worked with Super Kmart. Can you imagine that? A highly trained and dedicated soldier going back into the civilian life into a world he had no idea what the hell was going on. But he was trying to find his way. 1995 was kick-ass and that where I thought I was failing in everything and trying to deal with all the emotional and physical impairments that I had previously, this was a new term. This was gonna be the development of where I am today, but it was some long and progressive footsteps. Things didn't come easy, but the difficulties that I had to encounter and face and the obstacles that came in the way, oh, it was well worth it. This episode is dedicated to my former brothers and sisters with Vance International Asset Protection Team and to the tactical junkies that I held out with in Delta Sector in 1995 in Detroit, Michigan. Enjoy the show. This episode of Diary of a Bald Man is dedicated to the 536,000 fans and listeners. Excuse me, I was not finished. I meant to add of other shows. Oh, just deal with it. And now on to Alan Wolford and whatever he is rambling about. Hey, Grace, thank you for the intro, and everybody, welcome back to Diary of a Bald Man, 1995. But before we begin, I just want to say Happy New Year. You know, with 2022 coming in on top of us, it's good to reflect back on 2020, 2021, and the things that changed us. And again, looking at historical information, this is what makes us a part of who we are today. But, you know, when you go forward... You only want to use the parts that build you up. You know, anything that broke you down as a scar, you know, that's going to be your bedrock. 
That's going to be your foundation. And from that scar, build back up. So let's talk about 1995 and how it built me back up. 1995 was a crazy year. Bill Clinton was president. And in January, the Norwegian rocket incident where the Soviets thought that Norway was actually uh, launching rockets and missiles at them. In March, Mike Tyson was released from prison after spending three years in there. You know, and I mean, there's a lot going on at this time. April was set. April 19th is when the Oklahoma City bombing occurred. And over 168 people, including eight federal marshals and 19 children, were killed. In August 24th, Windows 95 was released. And in September, two incidents occurred. eBay came out and was founded by Pierre. And in September 9th, Sony entered the video game market with the release of the PlayStation. Can you remember that? September 9th, 1995. I mean, who would have thought how far games have come since then? In October 3rd, OJ was found not guilty of double murder for the death of his former wife, Nicole, and of Ronald Goldman. And November 30th, Operation Desert Storm officially ended. But what began for me was in June of 1995. At the time, I'd actually been working with Super Kmart in Gainesville, Georgia, as a loss control agent going after people shoplifting or stealing. And previous to that, I'd worked in a variety of other jobs. Like I said, you know, earlier in the beginning of the podcast, I'd worked at Lowe's Home Improvement as a tool department manager. I'd worked at a video store. I'd switched so many jobs trying to find my place especially after being committed to be in the military. But like I said on the 1990s show, you know, after being injured, after lost child, after lost mother, you know, all these things that were coming at the time and being seriously injured, it took me years to build back up, not just psychologically, but physically as well. And 1995, well, that was my birth date. So we'll get back to it. But like I said, I was sitting in, Super Kmart working as a loss control agent and one of the other officers came up and he was filling out an application for what was called Vance International. Now Chuck Vance used to be a member of the Treasury Department Secret Service and he married former President Ford's daughter and started a new company after leaving and became Vance International. So what was going around was that Vance International was a bunch of former Secret Service, military, law enforcement, and what they provided was security and executive protections to companies that were involved in labor disputes or strikes. I mean, everything from the Piston Coal Mines to the Detroit newspaper strike, which I was involved with in 1995. So I get, and I see what he's doing. I said, what's, what's this you're filling out? And he explains it to me. He goes, hey, you know, they're gearing up for some big event in Detroit coming up later in this year. So I was feeling better, you know, I thought, well, hey, you know, who can get involved in this? And the requirements were prior military, no less than three years, prior law enforcement, three years. And I thought, this is what I need to get into. I need to get out of retail. I need to get out of textile. I need to get out of this and do something more in line with what I attempted to do in the military. So in June 1995, I and others got that were approved because of our backgrounds met in Cincinnati, Ohio. And we were there for a week's worth of training prior to going to Detroit. And let me tell you, it was amazing. I got to work with former Navy SEALs, retired Special Forces, retired Army Rangers, Air Force PJs, Air Force Forward Air Controllers, law enforcement from a variety of different states and venues. 
and what they were training us. If you look, you know, when you came onto the podcast, you saw a picture, and I'm on the left-hand side in that white shirt that says no fear, and I'm holding that riot shield. So what they were doing was training us to handle the riots. And let me tell you, the Detroit newspaper strike, that was a hell of a time, especially when we got towards Labor Day and the Labor Day riots occurred at the North Plant. For more information on the strike, you really need to Google Detroit Newspaper Strike 1995. It was a hell of a time. So, getting back to the story, the reason 1995 was a change is where I had been broke down physically. I was able to build back up. And again, it took five years. So, here I am with some of the best of the best. We're talking guys that were in supreme physical condition. We're talking about guys that were dedicated special operations at the time, uh, SWAT team members, people that needed a lifestyle change, just like I did. I had to get away from the retail. I had to get away from the civilian aspect of not doing anything, not contributing to the better good or to the safety and security of others who were threatened. And this was the way to do it. 1995 was a key to open many other doors for a career that went through from 1995 to 2000, where I worked with Vance International, Falcon Global, TWI, and the International Management Assistance Corporation. In 2000, it took a change. And as you know and see through these podcasts, every five years, there's a change. While I did not have a five-year plan, I had a year-to-year target. Do better than what I did before. So 1995 comes up and on July of that year, you know, we had already been through training, we'd already progressed and things were taking a turn. Um, Initially, once we got up to the site, the strike had not officially occurred. So I was down at Riverfront Building, which was one of their printing facilities there in Detroit, right next to the Ambassador Bridge. It was a beautiful view. You could see over into Canada, uh, we had, you know, a lot of great people. We were dressed up in blazers and suits, and we were just living the life, you know, letting people know we were physically there, we had a physical presence, and people felt safe and secure. And that's what they wanted. They wanted that sense of knowing that if something happened, the best people in the industry was there to keep them safe. And this was both union and non-union personnel. Because not everybody was in agreement over going on strike or having a labor dispute. So as it went through and as things progressed, the vote came down and July 13th, the Detroit News and the Free Press went on strike. And this strike lasted until February 14th of 1997. So, you know, I was not there for the entire thing. Uh, I got up in there and I was with the group and we were doing amazing things. And once a strike occurred, you know, our roles changed. We got all the blazers, we got all the suits, and we weren't there as door greeters anymore. Now we're the keepers of the gate. Shortly, a few months after that, they started up what was called the divisional attack teams. And I was one of the ones selected. You still had your primary officers at each facility watching the ingress and egress and protecting individuals coming in. But luckily, through the training that I had being a medic and through testing and the evaluations by my peers, who were far better, far, far better. Again, you got to remember, a lot of these guys were former special forces, special operations, rangers, Navy SEALs, guys that had unique skills and training. And they said, well, he's six foot two and he's stupid. He'd make a great wall. 
So I got selected and got to be what was part of the Delta group. Now, we're not talking about like Delta Force. We're not talking about anything that high speed, low drag. What they had done was taken the state and put it into a grid. So you had Alpha, Bravo, Charlie, Delta. And Delta was the side of Detroit where shit really hit the fan. These were the places that you did not want to be alone at night. And let me tell you, we were never alone. As a team, we were uniquely trained, and we would go out and bust on each other. I'm talking about we had blood and tears and sometimes shit running down our leg from where we would practice and prepare for the worst that was to come, including the Labor Day riot over at the North Plant. So, you know, that's another thing to Google. You know, it, it's hard to imagine when you're reading or hearing someone's diary about the things they faced. But if you take a second and research it, and you imagine that two handfuls, we're talking like 12 people per team, showing up on a gate and clearing hundreds of thousands. The strike got so bad at one point that the judge ordered the newspaper to deliver a set number of papers by a certain date and time, or else they were shutting them down because the strike got that violent. In the middle of the night, we were at the North Plant and other facilities where we loaded helicopters. I shit you not. We loaded helicopters full of newspapers, went to random areas, kicked them out the door, landed, dropped them, and had distributors pick them up and place them in the mailboxes or into the uh, areas for the people to retrieve papers. It was the craziest thing you ever saw. Now, a lot of people look back and they say, how is this possible? I've never heard of this. Well, Google wasn't around then. And do you think they would have said, hey, you know, there's a bunch of commandos and former special operations and law enforcement guys delivering newspapers? It would blow your mind. We had a unique mindset because all of us had shared common goals, whether it was to serve in the military, serve in public safety, things like that. And we did a great job. Again, you know, 1995, there was so much going on. We were united as a country, especially after the bombing in Oklahoma, after all the things that happened in Serbia, guys coming back from the military. You know, we also had all these other events that shaped and started molding us. You know, we, we talked about the video game. We talked about, you know, eBay coming out. It's strange how little things like that built up into today and became the mass of things that there are, whether it's gaming, whether it's newspaper strikes, labor disputes, things like this. But one of the things about this in 1995, when I came out of that civilian mindset and went into doing protective services and working in executive protection, this was a keystone. I already had all these other pieces that went to this building and this foundation that comprises me as a whole. But there was something that separated them. My skills and abilities had been there for years, but I didn't have anywhere to put them. And we'll get back to that in just a moment. The musician, John Coltrane, once wrote, I want to be a force for real good. In other words, I know that there are bad forces, forces that bring suffering to others and misery to the world, but I want to be the opposite force. I want to be the force which is truly for good. Joe Rivas and his team at RackOps CBD are that force. Whether you are suffering from post-traumatic stress, environmental conditions, or just daily shit piling high there is hope. 
RackOps CBD founder, Joe Rivas, a former U.S. Army Green Beret, has a simple mission. He states that it is our goal is to innovate, impact, and establish a strong presence in the veteran community. In a rapidly growing sea of options and saturation, we are the beacon. You are looking for something special, something new, something you can trust. The veteran community is often ostracized for seeking out help for mental health issues, especially alternative medicines. We want the vet community to know you can trust us because we've been there, we've served, we've fought, and now we desire to heal. In healing others, those that share this all too common and familiar bond, we heal ourselves. This product adheres to an ethos of sustainability and unparalleled quality control, utilizing only the finest ingredients. Alan Wooford, the host of this and other podcasts, is not only a veteran himself but a dedicated proponent of the RACOPS mission. After suffering from and finally being diagnosed with PTSD in 2006, Alan was prescribed Wellbuterin to help him deal with the emotional issues. Unfortunately, this only worsened the conditions Alan faced with his PTSD. The common side effects found in Wellbuterin only increased his agitation, insomnia, headache, tremors, and hostility. Like many other military, law enforcement, and first response veterans, there had to be a better, natural way to combat these debilitating issues, and RACOPS took that mission to heart. Joe and his team improved and developed a natural, THC-free formula to aid these men and women in shedding their addiction and reliance on alcohol and prescription medication to survive another day. As with any other treatment program, Alan Wooford, Joe Rivas, and all others in the veteran community, encourage and remind you to speak with your physician or doctor before stopping any treatment program and attempting something new. THC-free, Rackoff CBD, the new, all-natural, weapon in combating what life and your mind throws at you. As Joe says, stay out of the fog and into the fight. Visit RackOpsCBD.com today. Okay, and we're back. So, you know, we were talking a moment ago about dealing with a variety of issues, you know, and dealing with a variety of items that you're trying to bring in together and then use your keystone to assemble it all into one. So one of the things that 1995 taught me was that you cannot single-handedly deal with everything, you know, in an appropriate fashion. One of the things that made us so effective with my previous experience in, in flight operations, obviously, would have been delivering newspapers by helicopter, but by having the medical training and having some additional training I'd received earlier in life, you know, we combined as a team made a formidable force. Well, that's the same thing. You take your skills and abilities. If you're an artist, you have the ability to take a concept or an idea and put it into a graphical representation that people can respond to. And the reason I use artists, that's the one thing that combines everybody, whether it's music or visual or, you know, tactile, something you could feel because there's blind people that find incredible beauty in, you know, marble or cultured items. So when you think about it, you are an artist. Your palette is what's inside your head. And what you do and bring together is like the same thing we did as a team. You know, we combined our efforts both in combatives, surveillance, photography, videography, uh, intelligence gathering, in order to provide a safe and cohesive environment for the people we were working for. 
You know, it's not easy when we look back at ourselves to see the, the simple building blocks are there. But like I mentioned previously, you get a scar from a previous event. That's a building block. That's a reminder. But if you combine that with other things you see or hear, you're going to prevent that type of injury or that type of outcome for somebody else. Because that representation, you're going to say, whoa, stop. Back up a second. You're about to cross a line you can't uncross. Think about everything you have to offer, good and bad. You know, some bad things are, are a better sign, a visual representation, a form of communication that keeps others from having to fall to places we've dropped to. And hopefully you build them up and make them even greater. So 1995, while I'm in Detroit, one of the things I noticed, you know, being with on the TAC team, we'd be separated. But the one thing we could communicate was that when somebody was in need, we could all assemble together. And the same thing is if you're independent, if you look back on things, you know, are you prepared? Do you plan? Well, if not, do you have the stuff to help you respond? You know, they, I just played the thing on the CBD. We responded. I had outside assets and all these people that came up and said, hey, this is what you're suffering from. This is what's going to work. Here's the side effects. And some people work from it and some don't. Same thing with your job. You know, when I was bouncing around from working in textiles and stuff like that, the one thing I noticed is there's people that are into it for, you know, 15, 20, 30 years. Now, in the military, that's understandable because you change. You know, you go from a private or low-end enlisted. You get up into leadership positions. Then you get into non-commissioned officer. And then, you know, senior non-commissioned officers. So you're a constant change. You're constant development. You're constantly doing, a, you know, a different environment where you grow. But one thing I noticed as civilians do, and there's nothing wrong with it. You know, trades are hard to get into. Getting somebody that's a maintenance guy... You know, I look at them and it's like, how'd you learn to do this? And then you see that they turn over because if they stop growing, they start dying. I'm not saying go out and change your job consistently. Hell, do what you got for five years. Then build yourself up. If there's no challenge, you're dying on the inside. And you're letting somebody pay you to die on the inside. I don't want you to go out and just try 10 different jobs. You know, some people look at that and say, wow, you can't do anything. Is there anything that you're good at. And then they forget that all the pieces and parts that you developed, you know, from this company A, company B, company C, they're now benefiting from because you learn different skills and abilities. You don't have to change, you know, your room to fit you. You have to change your world to fit you. Get outside the box, do great things, and then show other people. 1995 was a hell of a year. I thought I was going into it for me. I did not know that working with these great men and women, getting out, getting my head busted open, getting my legs crushed, having people just storm over me, spit at me, yell at me, not only made me a better person, it gave me the empathy to understand when people were at their worst because I'd been there and I could see the frustrations and I could see where they felt unsafe. And while they were taking that anger out on me, I was able to mirror back what they wanted to see. Somebody care. This is Alan Wolford. I care, and I thank you for listening. Enjoy 2022 and do amazing things.
This podcast has been produced by Alan Wofford for entertainment purposes only. This or any other podcast produced by Alan does not constitute legal, medical, marital, sexual, or professional advice. This and any other podcast does not reflect the opinions of his employers, clients, family, OSHA, Facebook groupies, promotional sponsors, or baby Jesus. Any health information shared or mentioned as an alternative does not create any patient-physician relationship or other professional relationship between the audience and presenters. No person listening to any podcast from this rocket surgeon should act or refrain from acting based on the content of a podcast without first seeking appropriate professional advice and or counseling. Nor shall the information be used as a substitute for professional advice and or counseling. As stated earlier, this show is for entertainment purposes, not how to lead or change your life. Do what the voices in your head tell you to do. Or what your spouse approves of. Alan Wofford and all guests of the show expressly disclaims any and all liability relating to any actions taken or not taken based on any or all contents of this site.